Well, I wish you a blessed Christmas celebration to each and every one of you. And as we celebrate Christ's birth, may he be preeminent in all of it. As you may know, the Christmas sermons for this year are centered around the question, why did Jesus become human? And last time together on Sunday Pass, we answered that question to make God manifest to mankind. Jesus became human to manifest God to mankind. And the second sermon in our series this morning answers the question, why did Jesus become human? With the answer, so that he would become a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, as you well know, was born miraculously to die. There was a shadow of the cross, as it were, over his manger in Bethlehem. And he was miraculously born to be the one and only cure for sin. And further, Christ was miraculously born to be this kinsman redeemer that we all desperately needed. You may not be familiar with what a kinsman redeemer is, but I'll try to help you understand that. In the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, we are introduced to the concept of a kinsman redeemer. Back in the Old Testament times, there was an Old Testament law that made place for something called a kinsman redeemer. And there were three levels of redemption which were involved in being a kinsman redeemer. Let me share those with you. Number one, a kinsman redeemer was a closely related family member who could pay the financial price to redeem a family member who had been sold into sin. The second thing the Old Testament law made provision for with regards to a kinsman redeemer was that he had to be a closely related family member who could pay the financial price to redeem a piece of land that otherwise would have had to be sold to someone outside of the family because of financial distress. The third provision of the Old Testament law for a kinsman redeemer was that if a Jewish man died childless, particularly without having a son being born to he and his wife, this law allowed for this kinsman redeemer to choose to marry the widow of his deceased brother so that they could have children and so that the family surname would be redeemed from going extinct. So these are the three levels of redemption that were uniquely ascribed to something called a kinsman redeemer. Of course, in the book of Ruth that I referenced, Ruth, a Moabitess, a convert to Judaism, a proselyte Jew, we would say, came back to the land of the Jews after her husband had died and her father-in-law had died, and she decided to stay with her mother-in-law and to convert to Judaism to worship Naomi's God and to call Naomi's God her own God. And in the course of adjustment and trying to make a scratch out a living, God, in this wonderful true story, had a kinsman redeemer emerge in the story. His name was Boaz. He was closely related family to the deceased husband of Ruth. And he, in time, after helping her glean barley in his fields, he was wealthy. In time, he grew to love Ruth, to understand that he was a kinsman redeemer in potentiality for Ruth, and he invited her to be his wife. 
What a beautiful love story. What a kinsman redeemer Boaz was. And so this redeeming was a buying up not only of Ruth's deceased husband's land, but also actually marrying and redeeming Ruth from widowhood since her husband had died. Jesus Christ is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Jesus Christ, we are told in Old and New Testament scripture, is a kinsman redeemer like Boaz was, but at a far higher spiritual level, far higher eternal level. In fact, Jesus Christ, we could say without hesitation, is the perfect, once for all time given, kinsman redeemer for the likes of you and me. I want to point out some specifics as to how Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. You ready? Number one, like Boaz, Christ, our kinsman redeemer, is our close relative. In his humanity, Jesus Christ is our brother, and I mean that reverentially. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Therefore, in all things, he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make a propitiation. That's a fancy technical word for a satisfactory payment in this context Christ's blood is the satisfactory payment for your sins and my sins. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. So in the first place, Christ is the ultimate kinsman redeemer because he is our close relative. He is in his humanity our brother. He had blood to allow to be spilled so he could pay your sin debt off in full and be your propitiation before the holy throne of God. Another image or another way of saying what I've just said is that Scripture references the first Adam, you know him in the Garden of Eden, and the second Adam, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Scripture tells us some very interesting things about the first Adam and the last Adam. For instance, Romans 5, verse 12. Listen, therefore, just as through one man, I interject, the first Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death separated all men because all sinned. Skip me down to verse 18 of Romans 5. Therefore, as through one man's offense, that's the first Adam, right? Through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteousness, that's the second Adam. Through one man's righteousness, that's the Lord Jesus Christ's righteousness. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So Adam, our forefather with respect to sin, the first Adam, Christ, the last Adam, related to us not in our sin, but related to us in his humanity, became the answer for our sin, the redeemer from our sin. Going on, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. 
And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. I'll interject. That is, he lived in a natural body, a body like you and I are living in at the moment, carrying on. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The second Adam, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, was raised bodily to have a spiritually glorified and resurrected body, and we will have the same if we believe in him as Savior. And so when you stand at an open grave, as I did yesterday, and God spares my life, I will be doing so on Thursday and Saturday coming. When you stand at an open grave, you know that your kinsman redeemer, the last Adam, was raised by his father, and his natural body was transformed to be a spiritually glorified, resurrected, never-to-die-again body. And that's your hope if you know Christ. That's your destiny if you know Christ. And so we're drawing an explanation out as to how Jesus Christ, by God's plan, is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. And he's some, we saw a foreshadowing of what a kinsman redeemer would do in the man of Boaz. And like Boaz, Christ is our kinsman redeemer because he's our close relative. Number two, Christ is our kinsman redeemer because he keeps a family name from going extinct. How does that work? Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6, Old Testament law. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her family's, or excuse me, her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son, which she bears, will succeed to the name of his dead brother, and that name, that that name may not be blotted out of Israel. And so you see, Pastor Rob, how is the Lord Jesus Christ as our kinsman redeemer closely related to us in his humanity? How? How does he keep a family name from going extinct? Well, because when we believe on him to be Lord and Savior, we are called Christians. And so the name of Christ perpetuates through you and me. We are to imitate him. We are to honor him. We are to submit to him. Incrementally, we are to look more and more like him as time passes. A third way that Jesus Christ is the kinsman redeemer of all kinsmen redeemers. And like Boaz, Christ, our kinsman redeemer, paid a price, that was his perfect shed blood, to spiritually redeem sinners like us out of our former slavery to Satan and sinning. You do realize before you trusted Jesus to be your Savior, you were a slave to sin and Satan? Redemption is a picture of being purchased out of a slave marketplace and being set free. Prophet Hosea, as you may remember in the Old Testament, was instructed by God to marry a prostitute. He obeyed God and did so, and she began prostituting. And her debauched life took her away from her husband into all kinds of vile situations. And then after some time passed, God said to his prophet Hosea, go to the slave marketplace where your wife is being auctioned as a sex slave and purchase her. 
redeem her back from a life of slavery to sin. And he did. Hosea went and paid the price and welcomed Gomer back to his home and to his heart. What love. The Lord Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer because he paid the price of his perfectly uh, wonderful blood to spiritually redeem you and me because we were on the slave market block for sale as well. All of us. Christ burst onto the scene the first Christmas, lived in obscurity but total holiness for 30 years in a backwater town called Nazareth, emerged on the River Jordan Bank, baptized by John the Baptist, a public ministry burst, and the world was never the same. He healed our sick, he raised our dead, he rebuked our self-righteousness. He died for us. That was the price that had to be paid to get us out of the slave marketplace. He died for us. But the grave couldn't hold him. Three days later, he rose bodily, literally, from the dead, never to die again. And so as redeemed persons, persons purchased out of the slave marketplace of sin by the ultimate kinsman redeemer and his shed blood, we must be different than the average bear. It cannot be from the world's point of view that we live business as usual. We have the Holy Spirit of God as the wedding ring, the pledge that our redemption will be completed one day by, with our kinsman redeemer. And as we are waiting for that consummation of our salvation, he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. While we wait, while he is completing us, we need to walk and live pledged to him. Sold out for him. All about him. He is Lord. He is Lord. In Romans 6, verses 15 to 18, it says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present your slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sins leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Are you listening? That, that means... We're all going to be slaves, either formally like we were to sin, or we're going to choose to be voluntary slaves to Christ. I'll continue. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Did you hear the juxtaposing? What we at the same time are free while we elect to be slaves of righteousness. This is a poor illustration. It's all best I can think of at the moment. When I set our 70-pound standard poodle in our fenced-off backyard for exercise, he is free to run in our yard. But if he is foolish enough to try to jump over our fence then he is at risk of a car hitting him, of someone stealing him, of him getting into some rat poison in someone's trash bin area. When we choose after redemption to be slaves of righteousness, we are choosing the freedom for which Christ purchased us. We live and serve and worship in a pasture that is safe. He leads me beside quiet waters. 
The fences of his commands of the Old and New Testament fence us in in a good way so we can be free, totally free, to glorify him in safety, respecting the definition of marriage. For instance, a man and a woman for life. Respecting that intimacy is reserved for marriage between a husband and a wife and not to be imbibed in before you are married, etc. That the Holy Spirit should control us, not alcohol or booze or drugs or greed. And so like Boaz, Christ our kinsman, Redeemer, bought us out of the slave marketplace of sin to give us the option to being slaves to him in the pasture of safety of his righteousness. 1 Peter 1, 17 to 19. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing, watch, that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. One way to look at Christmas is that Jesus Christ stepped across the galaxies, stars, and planets that he spoke into existence by the word of his mouth as creator God, and he came to our flock of sheep. And he lived in that flock of sheep with the rest of us as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And eventually, circumstance, according to prophecy, moved the Lamb of God out of the flock of sheep and to a trial and to a cross and to an empty tomb and one day to a return for us in glory. So we're seeing how Christ, our kinsman redeemer, is like Boaz. And the fourth point I want to make is that Christ, our kinsman redeemer, chose to spiritually marry his church. Boaz chose to marry Ruth. The Lord Jesus Christ, in a spiritual sense, chose to marry us, the church, believers in him. Of course, this spiritual marriage of Christ to the church makes, on the one hand, Christ our bridegroom, and on the other hand, the church of church-age believers, Christ's bride. Listen to how Christ is presented as the bridegroom of the church in Matthew 9, verse 15. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Guess what? We are living, on the, I believe, on the short end of the period of time when we have to live without the bridegroom on earth. But I believe, personally, as I study the scriptures and, and current history, that that waiting could soon be over. But he's our bridegroom. That makes us, the church, his bride. Revelation 21, 9 and 10. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and said to me, talking with me, saying, come, I will show you the bride. And then in case we miss it, the lamb's wife. There in the future scene of heaven after the tribulation is the church the Lamb's wife, the bride of Christ, you and me. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And then John 14, 1 to 3 
Just before the cross in the upper room at the Last Supper, Jesus said to his men, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I've taught you before that when Joseph and Mary were betrothed, they were considered in the Jewish mindset to be married, but they had never consummated their marriage because Jewish people who were betrothed together waited one year to consummate their marriage. Why? Because the bride went to her family to learn how to be a bride and a mother and a homemaker and so forth for one year. And the husband, the betrothed husband, went to where the, he was going to build a house for he and his wife and children that God would give to live in. And there was a year between. And then after the house was prepared, then the groom would go back with his groomsmen to where the bride was living with her family, and in a celebrative parade by torchlight, they would walk from the bride's original home to where the home for the married home would be, and they had a wonderful uh, wedding ceremony that sometimes lasted days or even more than a week, and then there was the consummation of that uh, marriage, the physical intimacy. And so when Jesus said to us, his bride, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That was what going on. <laughs> that was what was going on. And so those of us who know Jesus as Savior, we've been redeemed by a kinsman redeemer named the Lord Jesus Christ, which means he voluntarily, he elected to marry us. He is our bridegroom and we collectively are his bride. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. So what would it be like if this week you greeted everybody with Merry Christmas, the kinsman redeemer has come. Think it might start some conversations? Yeah. What? Say what? Merry Christmas. The kinsman redeemer has come. Can I tell you about him? And then you're off to the races. You can run straight to the cross, straight to the gospel, straight to inviting someone who doesn't know him as Savior to trust him to be Savior Christmas 2021. Let's pray. Father, we bow at the miracle of the incarnation. Very God becoming human. That Christ Jesus could be our kinsman redeemer according to Old Testament law. Closely enough related to us in his humanity that he could physically die. Given as the kinsman redeemer to perpetuate the family name of Christ. Given as the kinsman redeemer with human blood, which could be offered in physical death in payment in full for our sins. The kinsman redeemer, who so graciously and lovingly elected to marry us and make the church the bride of Christ. Oh, God, we praise you. We praise you for sending our kinsman redeemer, God the Son, who took on humanity the first Christmas. And we would say with the carol writer, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, we will go and tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ 
the Lord has come. And we pray in his name with gratitude. Amen.